Athletic Brewing. I cracked open an Upside Dawn Golden Athletic Brew. And let me say this. No matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor? It's athletic. Award-winning styles? It's athletic. Huge variety? It's athletic. Fit for all times. That's a registered trademark, guys. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere, without ever slowing down your summer. Beach days, music festivals, swim meets, camping, late nights, early mornings, literally wherever summer takes you. And here's the best part to me, zero hangovers the next day. Mm -hmm. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer or brew you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg. Joined on the line by one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. And Tim, the Mets are playing well. They're eight of their last ten. They maintain a one-game lead over the Braves as we record this on Tuesday morning. Braves have been playing very well as, uh, as well. Uh, but I'm concerned. And it's because Jacob deGrom looked like a human being in his last start. And that's not something I'm used to really really strange i mean there was uh for jacob de there was a a stretch in which he recorded three outs and allowed seven runs if you count the last inning of his start against pittsburgh and the first inning of his start against oakland uh did he give up i'm oh, sorry he gave up 11 earned runs in all of 2021 in 92 innings um you know it was the the, the pittsburgh one was some uh he didn't like the location of, of his of a, of a changeup that allowed a runner to reach ahead of O'Neill Cruz's home run. He actually was, was okay with the, the pitch he threw to Cruz that, that Cruz hit out for a home run. And then on, on Saturday in Oakland, it was just very strange to see DeGrom lack command of uh, really both of his both his fastball and his slider. Uh, you know, he didn't get a single swing and miss on his fastball. It's the first time in his career that it happened. Uh, and I, I talked to Jeremy Hefner about that, and he he said he didn't think that was really had as much to do with the fastball itself as with the slider. It seemed like Oakland was just kind of uh, spitting on anything down in the zone, uh, anything that started down, because they didn't think that Degrom could spot the fastball down. He doesn't, you know, he he's a guy who works up in the zone most of the time, uh, and that you know Degrom was unable to command his his slider, uh, so he was yanking a lot of them out of the strike zone. Uh, kind of non-competitively, and if you talk to some players, I remember it was Freddie Freeman who said uh, that the the hardest thing about facing Degrom is he never throws you a non-competitive pitch. He threw a bunch of them on Saturday, uh, and then uh, would would leave some sliders in the middle of the plate, and the, the A's made him pay for that. Uh, so it was just a, a very uncharacteristic outing for him. Uh, I think that uh, you know you are allowed one start in which you allow more than three earned runs uh, in any three-year span. Uh, that is that is a general rule that I follow as a baseball uh, writer and analyst. Um, so I I'm not super concerned about Degrom. Like 
sure, in an ideal world, he would have thrown a, a shutout and been cruising into his next start against Atlanta this weekend. We don't know what day it is. We can talk about the weather complications that, that uh, are, are being thrown in, in the Mets and Atlanta's faces here. Uh, but uh, I, I'm not... I'm not thinking that like, well, the Mets should sur- surely not sign Jacob Degrom. They shouldn't, you know. Then Max Scherzer should start Game One. Chris Bassett Game Two. I'm not. I'm not too concerned about Degrom at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I guess what a part of what helps keep a sunny disposition. It helps me keep a sunny disposition about it a little bit. Is that like if if Degrom had something? I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm probably speculating too much here, but he's such a sort of. Uh, humble guy or private guy or or i don't know if either of those is the right words for what i'm saying Degrom, if if he had a good excuse for whatever was happening in that game i don't think he'd ever let you know so if he was feeling sick a little bit or if he you know if, if something was a little bit wrong and he knew it like i don't know that Degrom is the type of guy to say like oh yeah like i was up all night i had a stomach bug yeah, you know maybe i shouldn't have gone tonight uh you're not going to hear excuses so like he just comes out and says that was unacceptable um, because that's just the type of guy he is. So, like, maybe there was just a little, I don't know, maybe something was a little off with him. I think you're right. You can give the guy one start, uh, like a, a, a one-start mulligan for your entire career um, and 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 assume he's back okay uh, in time for the postseason. A second one like this, I'd say, would have me wondering about his, his physical health. Yeah, I, you know, I think if... Uh... And it, it's different a little, like Saturday, his, his fastball velocity, I mean, you, if you want to try to peer into what's going on physically, his fastball velocity has uh, exhibited a wider range of outcomes in, in his last two starts now that he's mm-hmm. been throwing, you know, he's thrown a couple fastballs at 95, 96, instead of all of them at 100. That's something the Mets have wanted him to do for a while. Um, and so uh, I'm not sure if you attribute that solely to it, it's physical or it's him realizing this is my best chance of getting deeper into games right now as I'm still building up. But uh, I think, yeah, if, if he goes out and gets lit up by Atlanta this weekend, that would A, be bad for the Mets, obviously, uh, in the moment. But B, would be, be a, a bit more concerning going into a postseason start after that, uh, whether that's in a wild card round. Uh, or in a division series because you're just not used to, you know, he's basically had three bad starts in the last five seasons. Uh, Saturday was a fourth, and the other three were all within like a six-week stretch at the start of 2019 when he self-corrected and won the Cy Young. So uh, I think that's that's where I'm at with him. And speaking of excuses, my, my favorite excuse I've ever heard from a starting pitcher, my favorite rationalization, and do you remember Tim Redding, Tim Redding, who pitched for the yes. Mets briefly in 2009? Yes. Uh, I, had, I, had a, I, yeah, go had on. A bad, had, a, had a bad start. Uh, and it, you know, it's it's not like Redding was lighting the he, he was he was okay for the Mets, I guess. He wasn't lighting the world on fire. He was kind of a fill-in starter for them at that point. Uh, and he said, for some reason, I've never pitched well in games after off days spent at home. <laughs> um, which, uh, well, was, you know, right? Maybe what? who knows what's going on at home, right? Like maybe, maybe right. there's a lot on his mind. I don't know that you know, like maybe he was maybe there was a call for help. I did not know how to interpret that as uh, a first-year intern covering the sport. And uh, was it two, was, years... was that in two thousand nine or was it two thousand eight? Was it because I want to feel like did, did Redding play for the Mets at Shea? I don't. Th- so this was oh nine because I did not cover them in oh eight. Okay. He, yeah, oh nine. So it had to have been oh nine. At one point in my life, I opened a door and. He, hit someone who was standing on the other side facing that door and 
when the door fully opened, it was revealed to be Tim Redding, like rubbing the front of his head. Um, and, and so for some reason, I just assumed that was in Shea Stadium because there were like all sorts of unmarked doors and such. Um, but maybe that happened at Citi Field. You know, he was he was on the Nats before. It could have been, it could uh, have maybe, been a, yeah. a, a road visit to City Field. To, oh, that's to certainly Stadium. possible. Certainly possible because that would have been like I think that was also the era that that Lastings Millage was on the Nats. Like we might have we did a lot of visiting team interviews then, so it's very possible that it was before we would know Tim Redding so intimately as a Met that I <laughs> I nailed him on the head with a door. Um, yeah, Degrom is not going to make an excuse. And then, like I said, like. There is something comforting, and again, it like it would be nice to have a little bit of breathing room over the Braves. But what we're watching is one of the this is one of the best teams in franchise history, and they're going into October playing like that now since the series yeah, with the Cubs. You know, uh, a four and four finish would give them the second best record in franchise history. Only the the two th- sorry, only the nineteen eighty six Mets have won more than one hundred games in eighty eight and sixty nine. They won one hundred even. Uh, so they've got a chance at 97 and 57, 97 and 50, yeah, 97 and 57, uh, they go four and four. That's one one and six, 61, probably not good enough to win the division. Of course, if they go four and four, which is the problem, uh, you know, as we talked about uh, a little while ago, that this is, uh, really the best the national league East has ever been at the top of the division in terms of two teams playing like this, you know, maybe the 85 race between the Cardinals and Mets when the Mets finished second with 98 wins, but you've got Atlanta, uh, right behind, uh, and and probably both teams will finish with more than 100 wins, uh, just like the NL West last year with the Giants and Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they are playing better. The offenses look better. I think the what's really encouraging is is Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor have looked better, yeah. and they've been the catalysts all season long in that offense. Alonso, uh, you know, sometimes when he goes through his slumps, it's the power comes back first, and I think we saw that this past week where he had a couple home runs in Milwaukee. Uh, hit another one on, on Saturday against Oakland, and then uh, had the huge day on Sunday. The, mm-hmm. the five RBIs, the four hits, surpassing David Wright and Mike Piazza as the franchise's single-season RBI leader. Uh, I, I was actually surprised when I was looking up stats after that game that, that Alonzo and Lindor have batted with the most runners on base uh, in baseball this season. Uh, they're the guys who have come up to the plate with the most RBI opportunities, which explains how they both have more than 100 uh, in part. And that speaks to what the top of the lineup has done for the Mets mm-hmm. with Nimmo and Marte most of the time. The, the offense is still missing Starling Marte. We can get into when he might be back. Uh, but uh, it started to look a little bit more like, you know, you want an offense like that to take advantage of games against pitchers like J.P. Sears the way they did on Sunday against Cole Irvin on Friday. Uh, you know, they didn't didn't do as much against Waldachuk on Saturday. But to take advantage of those kinds of matchups, and and look, they I mean they played well against Corbin Burns on Monday, um, so that was really encouraging to see uh, that you know they're getting back into the mode we've seen them. The, the offense has kind of gone through these couple cycles of when the ball's falling, they're scoring a lot of runs. When the ball's not falling, they're not, uh, and they're, they're they're falling again for them. And Lindor, especially, I thought like he he hit the he because he hit the crap out of one of the foul balls, and then I think it was a it was a double he hit that looked like it would have been a home run in in practically every other park. Yeah, and and when those two guys are in the middle of the lineup hitting the way they are, uh, it just really it. I mean, it's it's the anchor for that lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the guys around it makes it easier for uh, McNeil and Canna behind them, uh, you know, Eduardo Escobar behind them. Just makes the lineup feel you know as deep as it should when you're when your three and four hitters are not hitting. And that was true for the Mets for an extent in August, but both of them slumping at the same time. 
uh, that lineup felt a lot, you know, you're, you're kind of counting on your seven, eight, and nine guys to come through in a way that, that the Mets have not had to uh, the last the last 10 days or so, even though, you know, Tomas Nito has carried on his hot streak in a way that maybe James McCann hasn't as a catcher. And, you know, you, you mentioned the opportunities with runners on base. Like, I think that that's not just about Nimmo at the top of the order and Marte, but it's really about the, about the like, solid on-base percentages up and down outside of the catcher spot. Uh, Mets are number two in the NL with a 333 OBP. Like, so it stands for, it stands to reason that they're going to be guys getting a lot of opportunities. What's odd, and this feels like a quirk more than anything else, but like everyone else on the Mets has 60 RBIs, and then <laughs> Alonzo and Lindor both have over 100. Uh, McNeil has 59, Escobar 63, Canna 56, Nimmo 58, Marte 63, and then uh, like then there's like a 40 RBI jump to Lindor, and then another 25 up to Alonzo. It's it's funny how it and like that ha- that has to be just situational, right? Like they're just getting those spots because because Lindor especially like isn't hitting way better than Nimmo or Canna or Marte or with way more power some more power um but it's funny that that it's it's just working out that way yeah that it's it's I mean those guys are kind of vacuuming up all of the RBIs in the middle of the order it's it's Lindor who's knocking in Nimmo it's Alonzo who's knocking in Marte and Lindor uh in front of him uh and that leaves and often Alonzo himself as well and that leaves fewer opportunities for uh the guys behind him like you mentioned i I'm actually interested in seeing where those guys rank in runners on. That might take me a little while to look up, though. Uh, so we can move on to a different topic before I get back to that. Well, let's go on to one. Well, first of all, one you teased because I, I was going to ask about this. When what is the deal with Starling Marte? Uh, he it, they've been playing well without him, but obviously he's he's a huge part of what makes this team go. Yeah, so he he flew back to New York uh, over the weekend to have a CT scan. Uh, on his on his right hand on, on that right middle finger that showed con- you know according to the Mets showed uh, improvement uh, and that he would continue baseball activities as as he could tolerate um, this week uh, you know the baseball activities that he had done to this point uh, were basically running uh, and like you know catching fly balls in the outfield during batting practice like th- those were the kinds of things he was doing things that did not involve his hands really mm-hmm. uh, and so. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a big step for him when he starts throwing first and then swinging a bat uh, is probably is the biggest one uh, with this injury. You know, they have not ruled out that you know they've kind of targeted this weekend in Atlanta for obvious reasons the whole time for a Marte return, and they have not ruled that out. Uh, Buck Showalter said on Sunday that you know when he's gotten when he's come back from an injury, he generally comes back pretty quickly that, you know, he doesn't need like the ramp up through a rehab assignment, that kind of thing. He keeps himself time, in pretty good shape. <laughs> yes. And at this time of year, uh, players maybe need that less than they would otherwise because they are fully built up. Uh, so it could be, you know, something where Marte swings bat for the first time on Wednesday and he's ready Friday. That's, that's possible. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I would bet on that outcome uh, that I, I wouldn't expect uh, Marte to be, a guy who plays all three games in Atlanta this weekend. Um, (laughs) Look, I don't know that I bet on anyone playing all three games in Atlanta this weekend based on the forecast. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the Mets and Braves will play all three (laughs) games in Atlanta. But, uh, you know, it's at least not, it's it's at least news in a positive direction uh, for him. He had kind of been in this stagnant spot for a little while. So uh, we'll see. Once once he starts throwing, once he starts swinging a bat, then you get a really, uh, a better sense of, of a time frame for him. 
Uh, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if the target date has gotten kind of pushed back a little bit more toward being ready for a postseason series more so than being ready for this weekend. We keep talking about this weekend in Atlanta. It's obviously the biggest. It might be the biggest schedule, uh, uh, the biggest series on any schedule remaining in Major League Baseball. It's the biggest one for the Mets, certainly. Does that make this two-game series with the Marlins kind of a trap? <laughs> I mean, it could. It's it's you know Miami has played so poorly in the second half, uh, and you're still seeing two good pitchers in mm-hmm. uh, in Lopez and Luzardo. Uh, and and you know the Mets have Walker have, have Carrasco and Walker in that order. It's it's not their their top three guys, but it's two guys who are pitching for something meaningful. Like we've talked about in terms of uh, making the postseason roster, being the the fourth starter in that rotation. But yeah, it's it's a little easy to to look past. The Mets have been very good at avoiding those kinds of traps over the course of the season, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, you know they, they've been very professional about that. There've been a number of times you could have said like, yeah, well, this is, you know, they came out flat. They coming off this uh, some big series win. They came out flat. It's understandable. This happens to teams. They haven't done that a lot this year. I, I can think right. of maybe one or two occasions where that's happened. Uh, so, but it is like you know, this is you've got a sweep at this point. You know, you can't be splitting two game series at home against a team that's playing three thirty three ball in the second half of the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. A continuing issue. One thing, it's something we talk about every week, and and I think it's like this is a this is like a first-world problem in Major League Baseball, right? Because it's what we're talking about is the the right-handed part of a DH platoon, um, and that's and so keep in context that that is like a very small element of what makes a team good. Um, the Mets right-handed portion of their DH platoon has has not been good. And we're talking about Francisco Alvarez again? So, uh, you know, with over the weekend, it was a good opportunity to see really both Darren Ruff and Mark Vientos. I'd, I had forgotten when we were talking about the weekend that, you know, the Mets could play both of them at the same time because Marte is out. Uh, that they gave Ruffs a couple starts in right field and one at first base. Vientos got two DH st- starts on Friday and Saturday. Uh, Vientos had the better weekend. Uh, he had uh, three hits in two games, including uh, a double in his first career home run, a ball he hit the opposite way uh, pretty impressively uh, in, in Oakland. Uh, 
Ruff did get two hits. Uh, he did not have a great time in the outfield. I'm not too concerned about that because I don't think the plan, um, you right. know, unless something happens with Marte, uh, the plan is not for Darren Ruff to be playing uh, innings in right field in the postseason. Uh, but you know, just still hasn't hasn't looked the way the, the Mets want him to. Uh, and you do wonder, uh, you know, Wednesday night against Luzardo, if if that's a, uh, a, you know, if Vientos has the chance to really grab that position by the horns with with only eight games left. Um, you know, they, they've Lizardo on Wednesday. I think it's Max Fried is scheduled to go Friday for Atlanta. So that's another two more starts against a lefty, uh, you know, to give him another chance to, to show what he can do and, and make his case. You know, Alvarez, uh, we're, we're talking about him, but it's how much time left does he have? You know, it's I, th- I think in an ideal world, if 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 all things are created equal between him and the other often the other options offensively, you say, well, he he does give you even if you don't want to catch him. Like it's nice to have him as an emergency catcher in a playoff situation. If you want to hit for for Nito or McCann uh, in a way that you know Vientos does not does mm-hmm. not offer that rough. Uh, clearly, you don't want him in the field either. Uh, so there, you know that's the appeal of Alvarez. The, the the appeal is that you haven't seen him struggle at the major league level the way you've seen with the other two. Uh, but you know, I, at some point, it becomes unfair and unreasonable to expect anything out of uh, a guy you're calling up on you know the final week of September, if not even later. Uh, and that suggests to me that that he's you know while he's probably on the radar, <clears throat> I don't know that they they really expect to to make a move with him. It's too late, right? Like there's ten games left in the season. There, it's just it just feels way too late to start like trying to figure that out. They yeah, uh, it, and, and you said and and we all said like they should have been working on this in July. They didn't. Now it's too late. Like now you got to go with one of these two guys at the very least. Yeah, I mean if. if Looking back, and and we did say it at the time with with both both Alvarez and Vientos. Like Alvarez, if you had seen him a little bit in July when when McCann was out and Mazika was your backup and not playing, uh, you could have had uh, more more data points on him in the in the big leagues. And and Vientos, you could have called up. Uh, you know, September first, you could have called him up even a little bit before then uh, to get a sense for for what he could have done for you uh, in the major leagues. You just have a you know more data on these guys as major leaguers uh they don't have that right now because they didn't take that they didn't take that opportunity earlier in the season uh and you would think if if they were serious about Alvarez being an option that he would have been up at some point before the Oakland series when they had a bunch of games against lefties did you know speaking of data and I found this out because I was trying to find out I was trying to look up if Vientos had any history against Luzardo like if there was a, because just because they're both Miami guys but every half major leagues is, is Miami guys uh and there's a there's a couple year age difference there so I doubt it but uh did you know that Vientos and, and Devin Marrero went to the same high school I I did know that actually because of course you knew uh, that of course you knew and, that I didn't know that until right now I'm Eric, sorry if I missed that article Eric Hosmer also went to that mm-hmm. high school so it's a it's a pretty well-known high school in in uh Miami and having covered Marrero when the, the Red Sox drafted him there was stories written about his relationship with Hosmer, and then when the Mets drafted Vientos, I was like, "Oh, you know, American Heritage. I, I know that high school." Uh, Tristan Casas, the the Reds, the monstrous Red Sox prospect, is is also from the school. He probably played with Vientos. That that was a. It's crazy when you see these high school teams, like the the one with uh, Max Fried and, and Lucas Giolito and and Jack Flaherty were all on the same high school pitching staff. Like, you get these mad baseball high schools. And you just imagine like what that must have been like with like three major league power hitters in the same high school lineup. Yeah, I mean it's it's like uh, Francisco Lindor's high school 
uh, is a basketball powerhouse. <laughs> and so they've had like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and uh, a couple other major players who have come through there. Uh, so it's uh, my high school uh, did not boast uh, any future major leaguers. I don't know about yours, but we, we did not get there. Uh, Actually, not, 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 while, while, not while I was in school. There have been some kids uh, since then who have made it uh, to the major leagues. Uh, so, well, Sandy Koufax went to my middle school. Um, so that's a big one. That's a big one. Uh, who, who? Sandy Koufax. But, oh, Sandy. Um, rings a bell. I yeah. Think I've heard so of him. he he lived on Long Island with his family for just a few years and went to my middle school. And then there was a there was a huge Long Island Railroad crash um, sometime in like the 30s or 40s, I guess. And it spooked his family, and they moved back to Brooklyn. Um, so that was that was how my town lost its chance at Sandy Koufax at like claiming Sandy Koufax. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, we had some, we had a few minor leaguers, like a few, a guy a year older than me, uh, Matt Lemanchik was, was an amazing player in high school. I think he wound up making it to AAA. Um, and then when I worked there, um, there was a guy, I just, I was just thinking about this because of the way they're, they're walking Aaron, Aaron Judge. Um, there was a guy that, uh, his name was, who's his, he was the brother of Crystal Dunn, who was the, the soccer star. Um, his name was Henry Dunn. He wound up playing in the minors as well. I supervised a bunch of the baseball games, like just to be crowd control, um, because I heard this guy was going to go play in the minors, and he got intentionally walked like every time up in the four games I went. Like they just this kid walked to the plate and they just pointed him to first base, and it was like the most depressing thing I'd ever seen. Your high school's baseball games needed crowd control. Um, it was a weird thing. You got extra money because I worked in the school, and so like you got like a, an extra hundred bucks if you would just go sit there with a red jacket on at a sporting event. Um, so I was like, yeah, I will absolutely go do that. I don't know. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah. I don't know if there was something I was supposed to be doing, but I definitely wasn't doing it. <laughs> um, let's talk more about the Mets. So, do we think? I mean, is there a chance that Vientos might be the guy for this role? I mean, I think it's it's looking more like a toss up, you know, and it's. It's as much Ruff's struggles as it is anything Vientos has done. Like, you know, I, th- I think he was one for 19 going into that series in Oakland. And, and you know, he gets three hits. Uh, and it feels like he's he's really running with the, with the job opportunity. But, uh, you know, Ruff has looked so bad for so long uh, that you were, you know, sometimes when a guy gets in a slump, like he's still hitting the ball hard. The approach is fine. Uh, you know, he just has to stay confident through it. And then a slump extends long enough where those good secondary, you know, the, the peripheral stats that make you confident he can get through it start mm-hmm. to disappear and it starts to spiral and kind of become a self-fulfilling cycle. And I think you're getting to that point with him a little bit where uh, you're, you're kind of concerned uh, just about what his mental state is uh, and, and just where his confidence level is when you go through a slump this, this prolonged, you know, and it, you know, it's, it's not, he wasn't having a, a terrible season beforehand, but he also wasn't hitting 350. Uh, and so it's just been a, a downward trend for him since coming over. And if Vientos can give you a little bit of pop, uh, the way he showed over the weekend, uh, then maybe you, you run with him. You know, he's still striking out on a fair number of his at bats. And honestly, at this point, like the it's looking more to me like like you go with the defensive option, like we talked about, whether right. that's Guillaume. Uh, you know, Tyler Naquin even had a couple of hits against the lefty on Sunday. I, I don't think that's really an option. Uh, and, but, you know, one of those guys is still going to be on the roster as a right-handed pinch hit option. And, and maybe Vientos gets the nod there because of what he's shown in a, a smaller sample. Yeah, with Ruff, I kind of think back on on Jay Bruce when, when he came over to the Mets and how much he struggled. Like, I, I, as much as I believe that a guy is always gonna, going to 
revert to his mean. Like, I saw an article recently saying, like, it's time to end the Darren Ruff experiment. And I get what they're saying, but it's not really an experiment when a guy has, like, hundreds and, you know, hundreds of major league at-bats showing he can do this thing, um, right? It, it shouldn't be an experiment. But, uh, I don't know, for, like... Certainly getting traded is is a pressure. Um, being thrown into the midst of a new clubhouse in a postseason chase uh, brings some, you know, mental adjustments. And, like, I, I think, like, what you said, you can sort of get behind the eight ball and, and whatever baseball players like to say, like, they're pressing or they're trying to do too much or whatever it is. Um, and while I always think that the player is going to overcome that and the team should kind of ride that out, you don't want to. You want. You don't want to, October to be the time you're writing that out. Yeah, that you know, it's 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 also different in the sense that uh, like you haven't seen him at a good point. Right. You know, it's uh, when you when you acquire someone, you don't have the individual history with them that you do. Uh, you know, if you know if someone else on this roster, if if Pete Alonso were going through something like this, uh, if you know. Even if it's someone who's from your minor league system going through something like this. Well, like, think uh, about Eduardo Escobar, right? Like, think about right. how different he would be perceived if he flipped, if this was what he did in April, and then he just sort of, like, like sputtered for the rest of the year. You'd be like, oh, well, he had a pretty good season. You know, and now it's like, well, it's this, this he had this horrible season and this great month. Um, and, and the perception has changed so much by what happens first. We've talked about it before. Yeah, and, and so... Uh, you know, you don't have that history with with Ruff. The first of all, the fan base doesn't have the history with Ruff, so they don't like they don't like him at all. Uh, I remember when uh, I was an intern covering the Yankees, and they traded for Lance Berkman, and he got off to a start like this, not for as long a time as Ruff has had, but you know, for three weeks or so. Uh, and he said, "Yeah, like they don't know they don't know who I am. They don't care what I did in Houston. They don't care that I was really good for a while because I haven't been really good here. And it's basically like my career has just started with this team." Yeah. Uh, like there's no history um, and that's that's how a fan base feels about a guy and you know as a front office as a as a coaching staff you you know you don't know this guy that well either you don't know you haven't seen him go through six weeks like this and pop out the other side hitting uh, four home runs in a week um, you know that if you've seen a guy get through it it gives you a bit more confidence that you you know he will and you'll be the beneficiaries of your patience uh, the Mets don't have that history with Ruff. We have a couple of questions from the email box. If you've got an email question, you can please uh, send them along to asktedberg at gmail.com. Of course, you can always ask us questions on Twitter. I'm at OG Ted Berg. Tim is at Tim Britton. Uh, these, are, these are both uh, a little bit off the beaten path. Um, one person who does not leave his or her name asks uh, a question that's not specific to the Mets. Uh, saying, I know that for the best of three wild card round, the higher seeded team would host all three games, but would they be the home team for all three games? I.e., they bat last. Um, I believe the answer is yes, they are the home team for three games. I bring up this question, Tim, because I learned something today, which was very disappointing and which I somehow missed in, I think, all of the collective bargaining offseason commotion which is that there are no tiebreaker games I- anymore. There will never, never be a game 163 again. I know, and that that's uh, a disappointment. Uh, Huge so yeah, disappointment. Yeah, the- like it's and and I get it from the fans and the team's perspective because they're obviously just like a logistic nightmare. But from the from, from the players and the team's perspective, from the fan perspective, probably even from the reporters. And I know it's a it's a logistic nightmare as a reporter as well. But like that's pretty fun. 
that's pretty good at game 163. Yeah, and so to answer the initial question, yeah, the the home team will bat last in all three games. Uh, it's not like a, the College World Series where I think they, they swap back and forth huh. for one of the games. Um, and it is, you know, for the, the Mets, that's what makes winning at least one in Atlanta so crucial is because that's basically, you know, if if the Mets win one out of three, it's it's kind of like splitting the series because they get the tiebreaker on top of that. Uh, so it, it, one win in Atlanta would actually reduce the Mets' magic number by three because it would be a Mets win, an Atlanta loss, uh, and it would give them the tiebreaker by virtue of winning the season series. Uh, it's, you know, it, to me, look, I, everyone would prefer a tiebreaker game, I think, as a, a fan in terms of fairness and all that. It's a little easier for me to swallow like a team that wins a 19-game season series getting the tiebreaker. Uh, it would be harder if, like, you know, I, I think... The Mets don't have this with any team they're going up against for a potential tiebreaker. But, you know, if a team goes like three and three against another team right. uh, and then we're looking at like what their record is within their own division and their different divisions, um, that would be like the next tiebreaker. So I I think it, the, the tiebreaker system kind of breaks down once you get past the head to head, especially the head to head in the division with more games, um, you know, that we don't have game 163s anymore. We don't have the single game wild card. It's it's a little bit of a bummer that there's there's no uh, guaranteed like one game right. winner take all kind of situation. Which you know the, the reason the, the the league went to that that extra wild card with the the one game playoff was to uh, basically have you know to, to recapitulate the uh, game one sixty three setup every year in some way. Right. Yeah. And now that like you, that's an interesting point. And think about that. That means they could go. Well, they could go in and I mean it's not going to happen. They can, but theoretically, you could go an entire postseason, like down to Game One Sixty Two, the Wild Card Series, and never have a winner take all game. Right. It would it would be pretty remarkable if that happened, but uh, you could have you know and all four Wild suck. Card Series go in like two what, games. You could like, have division series end in three or four. Yeah. Like what? Well, how would Rob Man? Like what? What egg on your face if you're Rob Manfred at that point? Like ah, like it was just like a cakewalk. Every series was just like a a four one three one type thing, and it never got exciting because we've like we've just watered this down way too much. Um, we have a I mean, second. It, it is it is interesting to me to think about like you know if there were one fewer team in the playoffs this year, just how much more exciting the wild card races would be, uh, because in the American League in particular. You know, mm-hmm. Toronto, Tampa, and Seattle are, are not totally locked in. I guess Baltimore is, is three and a half out yeah. as we're recording this on Tuesday. But it would be, you know, Tampa's a half game up on Seattle for the fifth spot. Uh, that would be quite a race uh, if, if it were still ongoing. I think Toronto's two and a half ahead of the Rays. And then in the National League, you'd have Philly and San Diego going back and forth. Uh, that's a game and a half. I guess Milwaukee has closed within a game and a half of, of Philly because the Phillies have, have uh, hit the skids a little bit. Uh, so maybe it is maybe it is a little tighter overall than I thought, but you know, if with with one fewer team, it would be it would feel a little bit more uh, intense the final ten days outside of the NL East, where that I mean, this is you you said it's it's probably the the biggest series left in the season. It's definitely the biggest se- series left in the season. It's really just a matter of when was the last time the Mets played a series uh, of this magnitude uh, and. Uh, I mean, I think even in 07 and 08, like they weren't playing the Phillies directly in the final week of the season. Uh, So you probably have to go back to uh, a series against Atlanta in 99 or 2000, you know, uh, to get a sense for when they're going up against the team that they're that they're kind of battling with for uh, for a big spot in the playoffs. 
Yeah, that, that sounds absolutely right. I'm. We have one more question I want to take because I love it. Um, I've never really thought about this. This is from Mike. Um, he first he starts by buttering us up with some some uh, compliments about the show. Then he says, "I have a question that's been on my mind since the Mets got rained out in Pittsburgh, and it was announced early in the day." How is urgent information passed along from the team to players? Is there a Mets team group chat that Buck Showalter has to text everyone on? Is there a team email listserv that is used? Is there a phone tree where, for example, Max Scherzer has to call Joely Rodriguez, who then has to call Darren Ruff? I realize this probably merits zero attention while the team is in the middle of a pennant race, but it's been really bothering me lately. That is a really good question. I love the idea of a phone tree. <laughs> like, like, and like, think and of, the, yeah, because think of how much you'd read into it if you got like the phone tree at, at, on opening day and you were like, I call Marte. Like, I'm sticking around. That's right. I'm, you know. <laughs> and then it's like every time someone else is called up, they scrap the phone tree and come up with an entirely different one. Like, yeah. like we haven't we haven't re- announced our roster move. We're still working out the phone tree situation yeah. just in case. Um, yeah, I, I would imagine it's, it's probably uh, some version of a, a, a large text, a, a large group text. Uh, it'd be hilarious to find out there's like a Mets player Slack channel. Um, but uh, uh, I, I mean, there, look, there are times when players find out about things like this just from Twitter, from from reporters. I think that happens um, a lot. I think that that probably happens more often than they even admit, because a lot of times it's like, oh, I haven't opened my texts, but I have opened Twitter. Yeah, that, that is like you ask a player, you know, a, a guy who makes his major league debut and hits a home run. It's like, oh, how many how many text messages do you have? And they look down and there's like 450. Yeah. Uh, and that's just something that uh, I don't know. I can't relate to. Maybe you can. Uh, uh, I've never had 450 unread text like messages. Like every t- every time we cut a podcast and, and it and it publishes, I get just like a flood of people congratulating me. Yeah. I, I mean, most of the time, look, that the situation in Pittsburgh was kind of. Uh, rare in that you get the the cancellation or the postponement before anyone gets to the ballpark. Uh, most of the time, it's just like guys are sitting in the locker room, in the clubhouse, and it's just like, okay, yeah, there, there's no game tonight. Don't worry. Um, it's banged. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I this is now something that I want to look into. Uh, please do find out. I, I I I take it. My guess is you're also looking into previous series the Mets have played that are as big as this weekend in Atlanta. But uh, while you're while you're sidetracked from that, do find out. Uh, how, how like, just pick pick a player. Joely Rodriguez, great example. How did he find out that the game in Pittsburgh was canceled? <laughs> I want to know that. I'll, I'll work on it. All right. Um, that's all the time we have for today. We will be back later in the week to uh, take questions live. Uh, but, again, if you've got a question for the show, you can email asktedberg at gmail.com or ask us on Twitter. Tim, uh, until next time, peace out. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.